Warning. This week's story is a science fiction fairy tale starring a cute talking animal person. It's also rated X for graphic sexual imagery, violence, and themes of political terror. Children may find it disturbing. Adults, probably more so. Escape Pod 43 March 2nd, 2006 Today's story, Little Worker, by Paul DeFilippo Hello, I'm Steve Ely and welcome to Escape Pod, bringing you great short story podcasts, but not the only place that does. For those of you looking for more great science fiction for your MP3 player, our own Mer Lafferty has put together a virtual anthology called Voices, New Media Fiction. It's a compilation of SF and fantasy short stories that the authors themselves have already recorded and put out on their own podcasts. If you didn't know it already, Cory Doctorow has a podcast where he reads stories, and so has Jim Kelly and Paul Jenkins and a number of other great writers. Murr selected the best of these and put them together in one place for easy download at patiobooks.com. It's free, although donations are appreciated. The link is patiobooks.com slash voices. I'll have that on our website. I think this anthology is a cool idea for a couple of reasons. The first is I've already heard some of these stories, and so I know this is good stuff. The second is that it's a herald of a new sort of niche in online media, an effective bridge between self-publishing and the challenge of exposure. One of the primary strengths of the internet is that you don't strictly need publishers. Online distribution is so cheap that every creative person can be their own publisher, their own record label, their own film company. In the case of Voices, all the authors did their own production work, and they've already released the stories themselves to their core fans. But the strength is also a weakness. There's so much content out there, and with no quality filters in place, Sturgeon's Law gets squared, so 99% of everything is crud. Audiences don't have time to try everything, and artists have a hard time getting noticed in the crowd. There are a lot of solutions to this problem, like social bookmarking or review sites. Murr's solution with Voices was to republish. She connected with the authors, aggregated their best work, and added branding to it and a touch of class. It's a great solution, and one I suspect we may start to see more often. Meanwhile, go over to Patio Books and give this one a listen. I think you'll be glad you did. Today's story is also about aggregating, in this case, the qualities of living beings. We're very proud to present Little Worker by Paul DeFilippo. Mr. DeFilippo is one of the hottest and most original writers in the genre today, with hundreds of stories to his credit, ten short story collections, and ten novels. He has a regular feature in FNSF called Plumage from Pegasus, which reads like a sort of fictionalized Hunter S. Thompson chronicle of the genre. This particular story was first published in FNSF in 1989 and was reprinted in his themed collection Ribofunk. The story is read for us by Dr. Jonathan Sully Dog Sullivan, a longtime DeFilippo fan and a pleasantly twisted individual in his own right. So rise and shine, kids, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, it's story time. Little Worker by Paul DeFilippo Little Worker came awake instantly. Lying curled on the red and black figured carpet before Mr. Michael's bedroom door, she stretched her limbs beneath her plain beige sleeveless shift, then stood on bare feet. Mr. Michael, she could sense, was still asleep. Mr. Michael deserved to sleep, 
for Mr. Michael worked hard. Little Worker worked hard, too, but she never slept late in the mornings, for there was too much to be done. If Mr. Michael stayed put in his office today, Little Worker would nap at his feet. But in the mornings, Little Worker always awoke before Mr. Michael. She always would. It was her way. Little Worker appeared unwontedly reluctant to leave her nightly station. Something this morning did not smell right. She sniffed the air intently, nostrils twitching. The troublesome odor was nothing she could identify. It was new. This was not necessarily bad, but might be. The new smell emanated from behind Mr. Michael's door. It was not a dangerous smell, so Little Worker could not bring herself to knock or otherwise disturb Mr. Michael. He would be up and about soon enough, for Mr. Michael had a busy schedule. Perhaps then the source of the new smell would be revealed. Perhaps not. In either case, Mr. Michael would instruct her about anything she needed to know. Little Worker tucked strands of her moderate-length stiff brown hair behind her ears. She brushed the wrinkles out of her shift. They disappeared swiftly from the dull utilitarian fabric. She curried the short fur on her face and licked beneath her arms. Her morning grooming completed, she set out for the kitchen. First Little Worker had to go down a long hall. The long hall had a veined marble floor, down the center of which ran the red and black carpet with its oriental design. The long hall had large mullioned windows in its stone walls. Some of these windows had panes of stained glass. Through the eastern windows came bright winter sunlight. When it passed through the colored panes, it made lozenges of various hues on the carpet. Little Worker admired these dapples, for they reminded her of dabs of jelly on toast. Little Worker liked jelly on toast. She would have some this morning. She usually had some every morning, except when she took an egg to add glossiness to her coat. Little Worker, with the aid of the food center, could cook whatever she wanted for herself. This was one of her privileges. Mr. Michael himself had said, when first she came to live here, Little Worker, you may order the food center to prepare whatever you want for yourself. This had made her proud. In the training school, she had had to eat whatever the trainer set out for her. But Mr. Michael trusted her. The next door down the long hall from Mr. Michael's belonged to the bedroom of Mr. Michael's wife. Little Worker lifted her nose as she came abreast of the door, intent on passing without stopping. However, noises from beyond the door made her stop. The noises were thrashings and moanings and grunts. Little Worker suspected what the noises were, but curiosity impelled her to look anyway. The handle of the door was shaped like a thick curled gold leaf. Above the handle was a security keypad. Below was an old-fashioned keyhole. Little Worker put one big hazel eye to the hole. It was as Little Worker had suspected. Mr. Michael's naked wife was draped belly down over a green plush hassock, being covered by her latest andromorph, a scion of the bull line. Little Worker could smell mixed male and female sweat and a sexual musk. The sight disturbed Little Worker. Mr. Michael's wife was not the kind of wife he deserved. Little Worker ceased her spying and continued on toward the kitchen. At the end of the long hall was a curving flight of wide marble stairs. Here the runner ended. The marble was cold beneath Little Worker's feet. She went down the stairs quickly. On the ground floor, Little Worker first crossed a broad reception hall, along the walls of which were ranged busts on plinths, potted plants, and gold-framed paintings. She passed through a huge salon used for formal affairs, then through Mr. Michael's study, 
with its big walnut desk and shelves of books and wall-sized plasma screen. Several more chambers intervened before the kitchen, but finally Little Worker reached that chrome and tile room. Most mornings, as now, the large kitchen was empty. On the mornings of those days when there were to be state dinners, the kitchen was bustling early with hired chefs who prepared the more complex dishes the food center could not handle. Little Worker disliked such interruptions of her normal schedule. However, this was not such a morning. The kitchen was empty. Little Worker advanced to the food center. Food center, prepare me toast with jelly, she said. There is no more bread, replied the food center. No more bread? Little Worker was disconcerted. She had had her heart set on toast and jelly. What could have happened to the supply of bread? Yesterday there had been plenty. What has happened to the bread? asked Little Worker. Last night Mr. Michael's wife fed it all to the bull Andromorph. He ate three loaves. There were only three loaves. Thus there are no more. Mr. Michael's wife had fed all of Little Worker's toast to her bull. It was the fault of Mr. Michael's wife that there was no toast this morning for Little Worker. The bakery delivery occurs at ten o'clock this morning, offered the food center helpfully. I will be gone with Mr. Michael by then. I will not be home at ten o'clock. I must eat something different. Little Worker paused to reflect. I will have hot cereal with a spoon of jelly on it. There is no jelly. The bull ate that also, with peanut butter. Little Worker tensed her fingers reflexively. Her morning, disturbed already by the new order coming from Mr. Michael's bedroom, was not getting better. The change in routine upset her. It felt like a morning when chefs came, but no chefs were here. I will have an egg then, said Little Worker. There are eggs, said the food center. There is no jelly for an egg, hopefully asked Little Worker one last time. There is no jelly even for an egg. Then I will have an egg alone. Little Worker sat at a table with metal legs and white tile top. When her egg came, she ate it, licking the plate to get all the yolk. It would serve to make her fur glossy, but it did not taste as good as jelly. When she was done, Little Worker ordered the food center to prepare and serve breakfast for Mr. Michael and his wife in the South Dining Room. Then she walked through halls and storage rooms until she arrived at the South Dining Room. Mr. Michael was already there, seated at one end of a long polished table, reading a newspaper and sipping coffee. "'Good morning, Mr. Michael,' said Little Worker. "'Morning,' said Mr. Michael, somewhat gruffly. Little Worker quivered inside. Mr. Michael did not seem himself this morning. He worked too hard, thought Little Worker. He had too much on his mind. The state demanded too much of him. He should be better to himself. Little Worker coiled up at Mr. Michael's feet beside the table where she could watch everything that happened. Breakfast was served. Mr. Michael's wife did not arrive on time. Mr. Michael began to eat anyway. Only when the fine Canadian ham and scrambled eggs and poached fish were cold did she come through the door. Mr. Michael's wife was dressed for shopping. She wore an ivory jacket short in front but with long tails that hung to her knees and back over a pale blue silk blouse and tulip hemmed ivory skirt. She wore blue metallic stockings and creamy high heels. She smelled heavily of expensive perfume, which failed to conceal entirely from Little Worker's keen nose the aromas of her recent mating. Sitting gingerly, as if sore, Mr. Michael's wife picked idly at the food set before her. Neither she nor Mr. Michael spoke for some time. Finally, though, setting down his paper, which rustled loudly to Little Worker's ears, Mr. Michael said, There are some important people coming up today from Washington. They'll want to meet you. How very tedious! 
And what time would that be? Mr. Michael seemed to be restraining his anger. Around two. I'll try to be there. Mr. Michael's anger escaped. Try! You damn well better be there. As my wife, you have certain official responsibilities, just as I do. No one elected me to be the Prime Minister's wife. You elected yourself when you married me. You can't pretend that you didn't. You knew quite well that I might end up as Prime Minister some day. I told you so from the outset. God, what do I ask of you, other than to show up for a few ceremonial occasions? Do you imagine I've got it any easier? It's not a part-time job governing a whole bloody continent. You wanted the job. I didn't. Mr. Michael folded his hands, as if afraid of what they might do. Little worker's hands clenched in sympathy. Let's not argue, shall we? Please make every effort to be at the ministry by two. I'll simply rush through the stores, then. Good. I appreciate it. Mr. Michael looked down at Little Worker. It's time to go. Would you please get my briefcase? I left it by the bed. Little Worker quickly gained her feet, eager to please. I will get your briefcase. Where will you be? Just inside the front door. Oh, have the car pulled around also. I will have the car pull around, agreed Little Worker. On the way to the garage, Little Worker considered the argument she had overheard. She reached the same conclusion she had arrived at while standing before Mr. Michael's wife's bedroom door. Mr. Michael's wife was not a good one for him. In the garage, Little Worker confronted the sleek, low-slung car. Mr. Michael wishes you to idle at the front entrance. I will exit the garage after opening the door. I will proceed down the drive through the gate, after opening that also and around to the front entrance. There I will await further orders. Good. The car started its ceramic engine and opened the garage door. Little Worker left it. She took the back stairs to the second floor and approached Mr. Michael's bedroom from a direction different than that by which she had gone earlier. The door was ajar. Little Worker entered. The room was not empty. Lying languidly on the bed among the rumpled sheets was a naked gynomorph. When she heard Little Worker enter, she opened her eyes. Hello, said the gynomorph. I am a Hetaira of the lyrical line. Do you wish to hear me sing? Little Worker was stunned. No, I do not wish to hear you sing. What are you doing here? I am now owned by Mr. Michael. He brought me here. Do you wish to know my pedigree? No, I will recite it anyway. I am comprised of five species, with three percent being human. My skeletal structure is avian, ensuring a lightness and appealing fragility. I weigh only forty kilos. My musculature is feline, my skin a derivative of chamois. My brain is based on that of a mink. I have a vaginal contractile index of ninety. My pheromones are tailored specifically to arouse Mr. Michael. The gynomorph moved her legs and arms luxuriously and arched her back slightly, elevating her pubis. Little worker stared furiously, her mind in turmoil. I am comprised of twelve species, with a full ten percent being human, she finally countered. My measurements in centimeters are one hundred, forty, eighty. What are yours? Little Worker looked down at her stocky, compact, and muscled form beneath her shift. I do not know my measurements, she said. The gynomorph smiled, revealing delicate pointed teeth. She ran a tongue over her lips. Little Worker could hear it rasp. Well, said the Hitaira, I guess you don't know much, do you? It seems not. 
said Little Worker. Now they were at the office. The office was different from home. Different noises, different smells. There were no windows in Mr. Michael's office, no blots of jelly light on the tan carpet into which Little Worker's garment neatly blended. At home, Little Worker could do pretty much as she pleased, as long as she was there should Mr. Michael need her. At the office, and in other public places, she had to be more circumspect and diligent. Little Worker was on duty here, in a way that was more intense than behind the electrified fence and active sensors of the estate. Little Worker normally prided herself on her diligence. Once, one of the men at the training school had said, Little Worker, you are the most diligent companion I've ever trained. The men in the school had been nice in their stern way, but no one was like Mr. Michael. Today, however, Little Worker's mind was not on her work. Mr. Michael's first afternoon appointment had been shown in. Little Worker lay quietly behind Mr. Michael's big brown leather chair with the brass studs. Mr. Michael was meeting with the people from Washington. Little Worker paid scant attention to them. They had been cleared by security and smelled harmless. Little Worker couldn't even see the visitors from her vantage. They were just a collection of mildly annoying voices, which interfered with her contemplation of the new and disturbing events at home. When Little Worker and Mr. Michael had gotten into the car, Little Worker had circumspectly sniffed Mr. Michael to see if any of the Hetaira's odors still clung to him. She was relieved to find that none did. Mr. Michael must have washed. For a moment she felt hardened, but as the car accelerated down the front drive, picking up its entourage of armored outriders on cycles at the security station on the periphery of the estate, Little Worker realized that her relief was wrong. Mr. Michael might smell normal, but his attitude was disturbed. He was not his usual self. Little Worker wished she could somehow make everything right for poor Mr. Michael, who worked so hard and whose wife was so bad that he had to seek relief in the arms of that disturbing gynomorph. Little Worker would do anything to make Mr. Michael happy. The visitors continued to talk. Little Worker was hungry. Mr. Michael had worked straight through their regular lunch hour. She would have toast with jelly for her belated midday meal, the first chance she got. Surely the ministry's kitchens would be able to supply some. Perhaps she could convince the home food center, which was rather stupid, not to dispense any more bread or jelly to the bull andromorph. It would be worth a try. Little Worker was suddenly bored with her own problems, since no easy solutions presented themselves. She decided to listen to the conversation. "'Tell you that you can't ignore them,' said a visitor. "'The Sons of Dixie may seem like just another fringe group to you up here in Toronto, but back home they command a lot of sympathy, some of it from powerful folks.' The man had a funny way of speaking. He sounded emotional. Mr. Michael, to the contrary, spoke calmly and in the proper way. I'm not proposing that we ignore them. All I said was that we cannot afford to cater to extremist elements in the Union. The whole political structure is still too fragile, too new. Naturally, for the first decade or so, there's bound to be a bit of confusion and uneasy integration as people settle down to a new way of being governed. But we've had quite a bit of experience with our own separatist element over in Quebec, and the major lesson we've learned is that one must be firm. In fact, I intend to sound out you gentlemen on how your constituency would react to a ban on such groups as the Sons of Dixie. There was shocked silence for a moment. Then one of the visitors spoke. Why, that's outrageous! It's, it's unconstitutional! I'll have to remind you that the Union no longer functions under that document. New times call for new measures. Unless you can convince me there would be outright revolt, I believe I'm going to propose such a measure to Parliament. 
No group which advocates the overthrow of the Union by violent or peaceful means will be permitted to function. Confused grumbles and mutters and chopped-off phrases issued from the visitors. Mr. Michael let them babble for a moment before cutting through their objections. Gentlemen, I'm afraid you'll have to consider it done. Let's turn to more important matters. The Brazilians are pushing us on the boundary negotiations. Do we want to let them north of Chiapas or don't we? Little Worker tuned out the unimportant talk. She was more concerned with her delayed meal. At last, Mr. Michael, consulting his watch, said, Well, enough of work. We have a few more days during your stay to discuss such things. I believe you expressed a desire to meet my charming wife. She should be here any moment. Everyone waited. Little Worker shifted positions to ease a cramp in her right haunch. Mr. Michael's wife never arrived. When the visitors had been shown out, with many apologies, Mr. Michael returned to his seat. He was silent for a time. Then he banged his fist on the desk. Something has to be done about that woman, he said. Something has to be done. Little Worker silently agreed. One day not long after this time, Little Worker found herself at home alone. This was highly unusual, for she was seldom separated from Mr. Michael. In public or private, Little Worker was always by his side. Even when he traveled abroad, Little Worker went with him. Little Worker had been to a lot of places with odd names, mostly other cities. Aside from a few curious smells here and there, they all seemed alike. But today Mr. Michael was at the doctor's, getting his anti-aging treatment. He had just started the treatment six months ago, when they became available. The location of the doctor's clinic was secret, even from Little Worker. Mr. Michael had explained to her that it was for her own protection, so that no one could capture her and force her to reveal where the clinic was. Little Worker had to smile at the thought of anyone capturing her. For one thing, no one ever paid any attention to her. Who would think she knew anything worth knowing? Little Worker felt it would have been all right for her to go with Mr. Michael, but he wouldn't hear of it. It was just him in the car, and the car would have its short-term memory wiped clean after the trip. As for Mr. Michael's wife, Little Worker didn't know where she was and didn't really wonder. After the trouble she had caused, Little Worker couldn't have cared what happened to her. All that mattered was that for the first time in six months, and only the second time since she had become Mr. Michael's companion, she was without him. It made Little Worker very uneasy. So Little Worker wandered through the big empty house, searching for something to occupy her until Mr. Michael should return. Upstairs, a fleeting impression made her pause outside the door of the bedroom of Mr. Michael's wife. Aromas of bull seeped out to her. Impulsively, Little Worker tried the golden handle of the door. It turned without resistance, and the door opened. Little Worker entered. The bull was lying on a couch. He wore nothing but a spandex thong that held his large genitals in a pouch. He was flipping the pages of a colored picture book. When he heard Little Worker enter, he laid the book on his hard-muscled stomach, pictures up. Little Worker could see that the pictures were of matings, illustrating various positions. Hello, said Bull. Do you wish to have sex? No, I do not wish to have sex. I am Little Worker. I do not have sex with anyone. I wish to talk. I can talk. Very good. Would you like something to eat while we talk? Peanut butter is good. Little Worker went to an intercom. Food center? Please send a jar of peanut butter to the bedroom of Mr. Michael's wife. With a spoon? Bull looked guilty, as if doing something wrong. No spoon. No spoon, repeated Little Worker into the intercom. 
When the peanut butter arrived, Bull greedily unscrewed the cap and, dipping blunt fingers in, began to eat. Little Worker watched with approval. She knew very well how nice it was to feast on one's favorite food. Do you enjoy making sex with Mr. Michael's wife? Bull looked confused. What do you mean? It's what I do. Sex is sex. Peanut butter is what I enjoy. Am I supposed to enjoy sex also? I do not know. Perhaps you would enjoy it more with someone else. Someone else? I don't understand. You said you did not wish to have sex with me. Little Worker was suddenly inspired. I am not the only one home. There is another in the house who desires sex? Yes. Would you go to her? I'm not supposed to leave this room. You are supposed to provide sex when asked. That is true. You have stated a fact which contradicts the order not to leave this room. What am I to do? I tell you that you may leave this room. Who are you again? Little Worker, Mr. Michael's companion. Uh, I suppose I must listen to you. Very good. Please come with me. Let me finish this peanut butter first. <clears throat> there. Show me to the one who desires to have sex. Little Worker led Bull out into the corridor and up to Mr. Michael's bedroom door, which was locked. However, Little Worker knew that code. Inside, the lyrical gynomorph was found taking a bath. Amid the welter of sudsy bubbles in the large sunken tub, only her delicate face and one knee were visible. When the gynomorph saw Bull, her eyes widened and her nostrils flared. Bull developed an immediate erection. You are the one who wishes to have sex, said Bull. It is my nature. Mine also. Is it convenient to have sex in the bath? Yes, it is. Bull tore off his thong. Little Worker left the pair of morphs together. Mr. Michael's wife was the first to return home five hours after Little Worker had arranged the illicit introduction. Soon she discovered Bull's absence and his current whereabouts. Little Worker watched from the corridor as Mr. Michael's wife attempted in vain to separate the two morphs, who had ended up on the floor beside the bed, soaking the carpet with bathwater. Even striking at the pair with the sharp heel of her removed shoe failed to end the coupling. Eventually, special handlers had to be summoned. They, too, failed to halt the couple's pistoning. It's no use, Miz. They've developed a destructive feedback loop. We'll have to take them in to be put down. Just do it, then, shouted Mr. Michael's wife. It's disgusting. Yes, Miz. The morphs were loaded, still interlocked and bucking into the back of a truck, and driven off. Little Worker was secretly happy. But within days, Mr. Michael's wife had procured a stallion, while Mr. Michael solaced himself with a moon moth. Little Worker came awake instantly. She had not been sleeping well lately anyway. Her life had not been right since that long-ago morning of no toast and jelly. One good thing about the stallion was that he preferred oatmeal. Mr. Michael was always preoccupied and distant. At times, Little Worker almost resented having to be in constant attendance on him. When she had such feelings, she became violently sick, for the bad thoughts conflicted with her lessons from the training school. Then she had to remind herself that Mr. Michael and his welfare were all her reasons for being. And now there was noise from downstairs. There should have been no noise from downstairs. It was the middle of the night. Oh, yes, 
Once there had been a noise in the middle of the night from downstairs. Guards from the security booth had come in to check on a possible breach of the perimeter, but it had been only a sensor failure. Perhaps there had been another sensor failure tonight. Little Worker would go see. She got as far as the head of the marble stairs. There she confronted four men. The men wore optical distorting garments and infrared goggles. They carried light rifles and had other weapons slung from their hips. They were not security men. Well, well, said one intruder. Looky here. It's one of them fucking cultivars. I'm going to blow its head off. Don't get cocky, son, said a man who appeared to be their leader. Just because we took out the local boys don't mean we can make all the noise we want. No shooting unless I say so. Anyway, maybe this thing can save us some time. You there, where's the PM sleep? Little worker was not afraid. She carefully considered the terrorists before replying. I will show you, but you must collect his wife, too, or she might summon help. One terrorist whistled softly. Another said, Shit, these bars ain't got no loyalty at all. Okay, beautiful, lead on. Little worker conducted the men to the bedroom door behind which slept Mr. Michael's wife. They slapped an illegal unscrambler to the lock. The device ran through all the possible combinations in three seconds, and they were in. Mr. Michael's wife lay sleeping in the arms of the stallion. The men made various apparently honest grunts of shock, which awoke Mr. Michael's wife and her bedmate. Soon, she and the stallion had been herded into Mr. Michael's room, where the Prime Minister was found in a similar situation with his new gynomorph. One of the terrorists flicked on the lights, which seemed unnaturally bright at this forlorn hour. The men removed their goggles and shut off their suits, which had begun to hurt Little Worker's eyes. She was grateful. The two human captives and their morphs stood shivering in the center of the room, the morphs naked and Mr. Michael and his wife in robes. Three of the terrorists seemed calm, but one swiveled his gun nervously from side to side. Little Worker curled unconcernedly at Mr. Michael's feet. She knew that Mr. Michael was trying to catch her eye, but she ignored him. Who, who are you from? at last demanded Mr. Michael. Sons of Dixie folks, felt our point of view wasn't reaching the proper ears, so we're aiming to change things. Ain't that right, boys? You're, you're all wired on something. Maybe so, boss, but that don't prevent us from shooting straight. Exact opposite, in fact. So let's just follow orders if you don't want to get hurt. What do you intend? asked Mr. Michael's wife. We're taking you and the PM on a little vacation. You'll go free when the government listens to us and does something. A second terrorist spoke. What about these friggin' VARs? Slag those sex toys, said the boss. Make it quiet, though. But save the one that helped us. Might come in handy again. One of the men unholstered a pistol. Before anyone could react, it spat twice. Gelatin capsules hit the morphs and burst, releasing lysis catalysts. In under a minute, the two morphs were a single mingled puddle of thick slime atop which for a minute floated the moon moth's tougher gemmed wings. Okay, folks, began the leader. Unnoticed, Little Worker had slyly extended an arm toward the bare ankle of Mr. Michael's wife. Now she pricked it deeply with a newly unsheathed razored claw. Mr. Michael's wife screamed. The terrorist with unsteady nerves shot her through the eye. Before the man's trigger finger could relax, or any of the others could tighten theirs, Little Worker moved. The part of her inheritance that was 30% Wolverine took over. 
The four intruders soon lay dead with their throats torn out, soaking the carpet with their blood where once the bull and Lyrical had coupled. Little Worker calmly licked the blood from her lips. She really preferred the taste of jelly. Wetting her palms repeatedly with her tongue, she meticulously cleaned the fur on her face. When she was done, she turned toward Mr. Michael. He had collapsed across the body of his wife and lay sobbing. Little Worker gently approached. She touched him tenderly. He jumped. Mr. Michael, said Little Worker, everything is all right now. You and I are alone. And that was our story. I'm not optimistic about the future of that relationship. Or of that future. Here's a promo for a radio theater adaptation of a very cool comic. Atomic batteries to power. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Turbines to speed. Throw open the switches on the sonic oscillator. Not the sonic oscillator. And step up the reactor power input. Three (laughs) more. Uh, Triangles. Life is my creation. Life. Hey, Joe, you're looking for adventure, romance, and mad science? Go to girlgenius.net, home of the critically acclaimed comic book series Girl Genius by Phil and Kaya Folio. They update every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can't beat that. And you follow the radio link to subscribe to Girl Genius Radio Theater. It's all there, and more, at girlgenius.net. Your toast is ready, mistress. I thought this was unique. I've been a fan of Girl Genius for a while now. It's fun stuff, and so is this dramatization. Here's hoping they keep putting out more of it. In slightly personal news, if any of you are podcasters, or like to follow what's going on in podcasting for your own nefarious reasons, you might be interested in a new blog I've started, The Podcast Pedant. That's pedant as in annoyingly punctilious, or possibly just annoying for using words like punctilious. You'll find news, rants, and occasional useful articles and advice. That's at podcastpedant.com, and now that I've told you about it, I won't keep bringing it up. It's been a while since we've done a featured listener, and I apologize for that. Today's featured listener is Garth Simmons. He's the principal trombonist with the Toledo Symphony Orchestra. To quote from his email, As a professional musician, I spend a great deal of time traveling to concert sites. Escape Pod's quality and breadth of storytelling actually has me looking forward to the plane and bus trips. All I can say to that is wow, both for the flattery that we can make such travel tolerable and respect for a master musician. The trombone was my instrument in the band in school, and I think I was better at the spit valve than I was at any of the actual notes. So thanks, Garth. We'll keep giving you stories if you'll keep making great music. Escape Pod is released on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can share it, you can keep it to yourself, you can snuggle up with it on a cold night. Just don't try to change it. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju, bringing surf music and kabuki masks back in style. That was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, come back next week for different words in an entirely different order. Meanwhile, have fun 